Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 296 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I am so excited to have my good friend Mark Batterson back on the podcast. He's been on a few times before. He's a New York Times bestselling author, also an exceptional visionary. So he went into Washington, D.C. in 1996, planted a church that really didn't take off for a few years and now reaches thousands of people across multiple locations and has had a profound impact on one of America's most important cities. So we talk about that, but what I love, and 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 you'll hear this sort of fresh direction as I do more and more in-person interviews, but Mark and I talk about a particularly difficult time in his ministry a number of years ago where it wasn't going very well at home. And uh, his wife, Laura, who Tony and I know uh, quite well, uh, kind of said, hey, I didn't sign up for this. And it changed Mark profoundly. And any of us who have led with some intensity, you know, whether that's through growth or you're just a driven person, uh, yeah, sometimes that creates problems at home. And how do you respond? So Mark talks pretty uh, upfront about that. He's also got a brand new book that's out today called Double Blessing, and we'll, we'll touch on that. He's written, I think, 17 books plus lots of ancillary books. And uh, my goodness, his books are now in the hands of over 6 million people. It's crazy, crazy. I'm so glad to be with Mark. We actually had dinner with him and Laura, and then I went over to his office. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, you might've caught that tour of his office, which was really cool. He's read thousands of books. And so we kind of did that while I was there and happy to bring you this conversation. Also, remember, we got the brand new feature this month called Ask Carrie. So listen to the very end. And Mark talks about how he created some boundaries. And one of the questions from, uh, actually, I get this one all the time, but this particular one was from Andrew, who wanted to know, have you ever taken a sabbatical and what do you think about them? So I'll answer that at the very end of this episode before I sign off. So, hey, uh, speaking of things that are really important, have you actually put together a website for your church that is, well, somewhat 2019, 2020, you know, right, that nobody really comes to your church without checking out your website or your social presence. So our friends at ProMediaFire have launched a brand new service this month called ProWebFire. They will design, get this, a custom website for you. They'll manage it every week. And in addition, they'll handle your Facebook, Instagram, YouTube ads. All of that will drive visitors into your church throughout the year. The pricing is super simple. Everything's included, and you get a new custom website every three years. Trust me, if you've ever tried to rebuild your website, you know how complicated that is. So because you listen to this podcast, you can get a launch special of up to 30% off for life, depending on the plan. So no upfront cost, 30% off for life, only until October 31st by going to prowebfire.com forward slash carry. That's prowebfire.com forward slash carry. And as you plan for 2020, have you checked out the red letter challenge yet? You probably heard back in the day of Rick Warren's 40 Days of Purpose and how that revolutionized things. Well, I'll tell you, Zach Zender has put together in the red letter challenge more than just a 40-day challenge for your church. It's a simple discipleship tool that will help you encourage your people, like across the board, kids, adults, everybody, on um, how to follow and implement the words of Jesus. So I asked Zach, I said, hey, the Red Letter Challenge has been out for almost two years. What are some of the stories you're hearing from people who have taken their entire congregations through the Red Letter Challenge? Here's what Zach had to say. Yeah, we've seen a, a few hundred churches go through it so far. And, and uh, thus far, probably one of the greatest things is the pastors love is their small groups grow. Uh, we've, we've seen Little to large churches grow in their small groups by an average of 40%. Uh, we've also seen churches that didn't have small groups launch with small groups. And so they'll see that. But also what pastors love about it is it it gives people an opportunity to actually do the words of Jesus together. And so pastors can actually sort of objectively feel like where they're strong and weak in regards to what Jesus asked of his disciples. Um, and it provides a really great tool for people to to follow after Jesus on a daily basis. 
Um, so those are some of the things that we've also got lots of personal stories, you know, of people that have never fasted before that are fasting. We've uh, mm-hmm. had stories of uh, 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 sis- two sisters that, uh, you know, we're having a problem, hadn't spoken to each other for years. But during the week of forgiveness that we focus on, one of those sisters reached out and they rekindled that relationship. We've seen uh, stories of people going out in uh, in the, the week of going, of actually going and sharing their testimony and it making a difference in someone's life. And so little stories to big stories, we, we've seen them all. So if you want to see small groups soar, if you're looking for a turnkey resource for the entire church, adults, children, small groups and everything, Head on over to the redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. There are packages ready to go for you. Small church, you can start with as little as 10 copies. You got a big church, you can get a thousand or more or custom plans. Going to that link, redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry will get you up to 10 to 40% off depending on the package that you choose. So they would love to be able to serve you at redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry and get your church into a whole new place when it comes to the teachings and the example of Jesus in 2020. Well, I'm not going to wait a whole lot longer to jump into my conversation with the pastor of National Community Church, New York Times bestselling author, Mark Batterson. And we pick up the conversation in his office in D.C. Well, here I am with Mark Batterson in D.C. It's nice to actually do an interview with you on your turf, my friend. It is. Uh, Here we are hanging out. In my office. Yeah, which has apparently no name. I just learned. <laughs> I'm like, it's a really cool office. If you've ever seen this, and we'll post pictures, like you you have, how many books are in here? Well, I mean, this, you know what? I don't know the count on this. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a know, lot. I've, I've read thousands, but this might be, <laughs> you know, it's a fraction. Out. These are the ones that make the cut. Now, I will say that when people stand outside, look up into this second story window People often ask about the bookstore upstairs. The bookstore upstairs. Because we're above Ebenezer's Coffee House. Yeah. So our customers walk in, they get their coffee, and they think there's a bookstore up here. Nope. It would be a great uh, bookstore. It would be. You have a lot, and you have pretty eclectic taste. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but pretty eclectic. Okay, so here's a question that wasn't on the list I sent you. Yeah. Desert Island. You can only bring 10 books. Oh. Yeah, I know. This is mean, right? Yeah. It's like people asking me, pick your favorite podcast episode yeah. you've ever done out of 300. Yeah. But you have thousands of books here. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the Bible, but aside from the Bible, are there a couple that you're like, oh, I, I, I don't know how I'd survive without these books? Um, yeah, there, there are books that I go back to all the time. Um, there on the shelf is Book of Legends, it's a compilation of stories from the Talmud and the Mishnah. I love I love that backstory to the yeah. Old Testament. Um, I'm probably going to take a Tozer. Oh, right, uh, A.W. Tozer. I, I'm probably going to take a Gladwell. Um, I'm going to take something from uh, maybe from physics and neurology. You know, I think every ology is a branch of theology. So I, I love reading across disciplines. Yeah, and you do. It shows up in your writing all the time. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to take some history. Uh, uh, Dorothy Kearns. Uh, oh, which which book from her? Um, We're trying to get her on the show. You know, you can the, uh, the World War II book on Roosevelt. I forget the yeah. title. Um, fantastic. Uh you know what? Even uh, David McCullough just read oh. The Pioneers with kind of westward expansion. I just, I'm interested McCullough's in- McCullough's a great everything. writer. Have yeah. you read The Wright Brothers? Oh, yeah. That is oh. such a beautiful, I don't know why. It's yeah. just such a beautifully written book. Yep. And, you know, it might be worth, this is my backstory. You know, I started yeah. pastoring at 25, so very little life experience. I needed to borrow experience- <laughs> And so that's when I heard that a book, on average, an author puts about two years of life experience into a book. Wow. And so I did the math. And I thought, if I read 250 books this year, I've gained 500 years of life experience. And so, you know, I read 3,000 books before I wrote one. Okay, just a second. So, you just said, if I read how many books this yeah, year? W- well, if you read 250 books. This year? Yeah. Then so you've- Can you unpack that? Well, yeah, I was pastoring 19 people. 
<laughs> I had time on my hands. Um, and Everyone so, was well visited, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so in the in the early years of pastoring, that was my average pace. It's nowhere near that now. No, I get that, but how do you read two hundred and fifty books? You didn't have social media. Okay. And I would say, listen, put a book in your bathroom. Right. Everybody can read a book a month. Some people have more potential than that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about that. You know, I, I've, I've been hesitant to, um, to put this on social, but I'm convinced that 80% of social media happens in the bathroom. <laughs> I think that's actually true. I think you're right. <laughs> and so if you, if you sub out, some of that social media habits for book reading, yeah. then you're probably going to be, your life is probably going to be better because you're working on books rather than, oh, what's so-and-so say on Instagram? Yeah, and take mm -hmm. away smartphones. I mean, when mm -hmm. I started pastoring, I didn't have one. Yeah. So how do you use your phone now? Like, well, because you're, you're, I mean, we're going to talk about it, but you're in this massive like building project. You're opening up new locations. You're, writing and launching books. How do you use social media? How do you use your phone? Well, I mean, for me, Instagram is a um, photo picture book. And I'll go back at the end of the year and look through those pictures and it jogs my memory. And it's a way that I journal with pictures. Hmm. And then I let, you know, thousands of people yeah. <laughs> be a part of that process. Now I follow very few people on Twitter and on Instagram. It really is family and staff yeah. and then a few friends. But I found that it becomes a vortex I get sucked into if it's, if it's this constant uh, flow of pictures and tweets. Yeah, so do you intentionally limit yourself? Uh, I do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I would be, if I felt like... Um, the negatives outweighed the positives, I would quit. Just like I, at one point, quit blogging. Yeah, um, yeah, be, we because, were about that. Yeah. Let's go, let's talk about strategic quitting. I have a friend of mine, Kevin <laughs> Jennings, yes. who said, Carrie, you're really good at quitting things. Yeah. And, and like, that sounds bad, but it's actually good. And we were talking, we had dinner last night, you and yeah. Laura, Tony and I, and uh, talking even this morning, and I've shared this before in the podcast, but like you were one of the first bloggers I started reading in the early 2000s. And there was this story of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., trying to make a difference in the city. And I mean, you were a, a near daily read for me. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you were telling me before we started recording that you had the final year that you shut down your blog. How many page views did you have or how many visits to your website did you have? Yeah, 15,000 uh, or 15, I'm sorry. Yeah, 15 million. That was a hits. bit of a difference. Yes. 15 million hit. And I think the uniques were, you know, I might've been half a million. Um, yeah, but it so, doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of yep. traffic. And yeah. this is years ago. This isn't even today. Yeah, it's more um, than a decade ago. More than a decade ago, you shut it down. Yeah. Why did you shut that down? I couldn't keep up. Mm. Um, you know, was pastoring a growing church yeah. that was going multi-site, right. was writing a book a year, mm. was taking way too many speaking uh, requests. Yeah. And um, frankly, at one point, uh, my wonderful wife said, this isn't what I signed up for. Yeah. And thank God for a wife who is, loving enough to speak truth because I, I don't even know if I would still be here, Carrie. It, wow. And so I put some boundaries in place. One is that I wouldn't do more than 12 overnight speaking trips. I remember when um, you made that change. Now, of course, until recently, I didn't know the story behind that change. Yeah, yep. And so I just had to dial it back. And, you know, I had to define some things. Uh, one, I want to be famous in my home. Well, it's mm. hard to be famous in your home if you aren't home, and uh, <laughs> yes. and then and then I define success. That for me, it's when those who know me best respect me most, mm. and that's my wife and my kids. So I, I had to make some tough choices that uh, I I need to uh, dial back a few things. And one of those things that the blogging became more of a daily um, pressure or stressor while trying to write books. And I just decided, 
I can't do it just because of the number of hits or followers. Um, something has to give. And, and that's what I decided to uh, dial back on. What a, I'm not sure it would, I'm not sure most people would take that radical action. They might say, well, honey, you know, what if I, what if I did, you know, 25 speaking engagements a year? And what if I only blogged once a month? But you kind of quit cold turkey. I mean, you went from whatever you were doing, like once a month is different. And I remember when you made that change, because I think we knew each other by then, it was uh, once a month, that's it. And like, did you suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out? Were you nervous when you went from 15 million blog hits a year to like, okay, now I'm not producing content there. What happens to my book sales? Like what happens to all of that? Like, were you not worried that the the universe was going to collapse in on you? I was worried and I'm yeah. a type three on the Enneagram. So I'm a performer. Right. And I'm pretty driven. Yeah. And so very, very difficult to do that. And you know what I had to do, Carrie, is I had to Jedi mind trick myself. Okay. I have a hard time saying no to requests to meet with me. Mm. Well, I, I can't, I can barely keep up with our staff, yeah. you yeah. know, and then beyond that. So uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I had to do the math that if we spend a, a half hour together one-on-one, -on -one, there's unique value there. Yeah. But I, I spend 30 minutes with thousands of people now when I speak. Mm. So I had to do the math and realize that, um, if you add up the number of people times that half hour, uh, it, we're now, it's almost uh, three months of time uh, per message. So I did the math. Uh, and then I did the same thing with books. Uh, the, the circle maker, I think, is more than a millennium now. And so the time oh, well, I- Okay, just unpack that for a second. Yeah. The, what do you mean more than a millennium? Like, so because it sold so many copies. Number of books sold yeah. times- five hours. And so that's a fast read. That's a fast mm -hmm. reader, but let's call it five hours of reading time. So you take the number of books times those hours and it adds up to more than a millennium. And, and so wow. what that did is I had to, I feel this guilt when I say no to people, Yeah, but I had to realize as, you know, Andy Stanley uh, says saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. Mm -hmm. And so if I say yes to every half hour meeting, then I'm cheating the thousands of people that I'm speaking to on the weekend, or I'm not going to have the time to read a book, which I think is my high leverage point in terms of influence. And so uh, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as someone that uh, is a type three performer, I've had to do the math in a way that convinces myself that it's okay. <laughs> no, that's good. We all have our own methods, don't we? And by the way, we are in downtown DC. We are uh, like a stone's throw from the Capitol, the US Capitol. So if you're hearing that buzz in the background, that's just an air conditioning unit. If you hear sirens, we're actually- recording. Probably a motorcade. Probably a motorcade, <laughs> right? Exactly, probably a motorcade. It's our way of life here. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I want to go back. You use this math because I've in previous conversations, I've seen you talk about it where, you know, you're like, okay, if I read a book, that's like two years of life experience. If I read 250 books, it's X number of years I've added to my life and, and that kind of thing. That math really informs your decision making on, it, on a number of levels. Like it keeps popping up. It does because I have to convince myself. I think my default setting yeah. is yes. Uh, and my default setting is people pleaser. And, and so I've had to come up with these little tricks that keep me honest. Uh, in fact, I'll give you one more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is me kind of pulling the, uh, the curtain. But, you know, I told our stewardship team, you need to tell me that I can't be on more than three boards at one time. Wow. Like boards but, of directors. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not good at saying no. <laughs> and so I need to put rules in place, whether it's the boundaries of 12 overnight speaking trips or three board commitments at a time or even my weekly calendar and the number of appointments and days that 
their study days. And I have to make no apologies for that because I'm holding thousands of people captive right. for a half hour. I do not want to waste their time. I want to leverage it. So all of those have been mechanisms that have helped me uh, honestly keep my sanity. Yeah. 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 Um, two questions. How long do you think had you not made those changes? What would have happened to you? What would have happened at home? What would have happened to the church if you didn't put those, or even your writing, those those boundaries in place? Well, that's a, I love counterfactual theory. Okay. It's my, it's my favorite branch of history. There you go. You know, what would have happened if this if. had happened or had not happened? It scares me. It sobers me. Yeah. What I know for sure is I would have tremendous regrets hmm. because I would have cheated the people that mean the most to me. And that is my wife and my three children. Listen, I love our church, but they can find another pastor. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I love, one of my heroes is Peter Marshall. He pastored New York Avenue Presbyterian here in D.C., in the 40s, people would line up down the block, around the block. I mean, it was one of the first mega churches in the country. And uh, he went on to be the, uh, the Senate chaplain. Okay. Um, yeah. Wonderful Scottish preacher. He, he, at one point in his ministry, Kerry, he had a spot where he had to take a time out, um, just physically fatigued, uh, you know, mentally fatigued, and had to get on the sidelines for a season. And when he came back, someone asked him the question, what did you learn? And Peter Marshall said, I learned that the kingdom of God goes on without Peter Marshall. Wow. Wow. I remind myself of that all the time. Hmm. Uh, you know, on one level, you know, we have this core value. You're invaluable and irreplaceable. Never has been, never will be anyone like you. Uh, no one can take your place. Yeah. But in another sense, listen, I think we've got to realize that the kingdom of God is bigger and longer and stronger than Mark and Carrie and mm -hmm. Peter and Andy and anybody else's name you want to fill in that yeah. blank with. You know, Tony and I had a moment where, because uh, things are complicated. Like in leadership, they just get complicated. You're on the road all the time. You're doing episodes, you're writing, you got book deadlines, the whole deal. We sat down last week at my house in my backyard. My assistant, Sarah, came over. Tony was there. And we spread 2020. We actually printed out a calendar. I hadn't done that like in years, years. Printed out the calendar, set it out over the table and started planning out. And, you know, it's complicated. It's like playing chess, right? It's like, okay, what move here? What move there? And then we got to at the end of June next year and the calendar opened up and there was nothing there. And I said, well, I've got no speaking engagements in the summer. I've said no to everything. We haven't really mapped out the fall. I got a few things for 2021, but you know, and I thought Tony was going to cry. Mm. And it was just a reminder and cry because oh, we have breathing room. Oh, we have a break. Oh, there's no demands. Like there's an end in sight. And it was a really good reminder from me. We just put our boat away, right? You and I are both boaters. Mm. And unfortunately, the boat tells you how much you used it. it has that little <laughs> hour meter, right? It does, yeah. Yeah, and, and the weather wasn't fully cooperative. We had a better summer last summer. But I mean, I used it a third is like a 30% of what I used it the previous two summers. Mm. And to me, that's a little, a little alarm bell. Now I was writing yeah. a manuscript, writing a brand new book, ironically on time management. But <laughs> <laughs> one, by the way, that you, Mark Batterson, last time I was here, right? Do you remember that? Yes, I Spoke remember to it well. I said, that is a book. Yep. Well, it is. It just yep. took a few years. Yes. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm saying all that to say, yeah, I think I'm talking to myself here. This is yeah. like good free therapy. Yep. I want to go back to where we started. What is your reading discipline today? And how, how do you get through this many books? Well, I mean, it's so many books, so little time. So mm -hmm. I have to read really strategically. Now, I set a pretty high bar. Yeah. If I get into a book and 
I'm not underlining, I'm not putting an asterisk on the side, I'm not leafing over the page. If I'm through the first chapter and I'm not doing that, I'm probably putting it down. Yeah, so um, you read strategically. Yeah. You're just like, and, just because I started, I don't have to finish. Yep, and, and as a writer, I hold myself to the same standard. Mm. I know I have to hook people at the beginning of every single chapter. Yeah. And I work hard at it, and I would say half of the effort is on the the first portions of a book. So how do you um, do that? How do you hook people? Well, I think it's it's about organizing metaphors. It's uh, it's why the parables are so brilliant. Mm. Uh, you know, about 250 words uh, on average, but read them once, you remember them forever because Jesus was so good at taking ordinary things and yeah. then equating them to spiritual truth. You know, faith is like a mustard seed. <laughs> you know, these are so simple, but uh, so good. And so, as I like to say, it's not rocket surgery. Um, you start with a story that's what hooks people's minds and it's usually history or science or uh, even something from my personal life you start with something strong and a metaphor at the beginning of the chapter and then you tease it out the rest of the chapter yeah yeah um do you read every day uh i mean yeah i think uh it's a daily discipline um from scripture. And then uh, when I'm in a writing season, it alters a little bit because it's more, uh, I have a stack of books that I know are going to make it into the end notes. And then I'm referencing what I've already read. You know, one thing we did this year was Laura and I took a week and really called it a reading vacation. Hmm. You know, Bill Gates has done this for a long, long time. And so we kind of picked up on that idea. He is. And just read and mixed in a few hikes and a few meals. And, and uh, so I, I think you have to game plan it though and be strategic. I think we have an unfair advantage as preachers yeah. because there's always a series coming. And so generally I'm reading strategically to kind of prep myself for whatever it is that, that we may be uh, talking about. So if I'm uh, if we're going to do a series on mental health or trauma, well, I'm going to pick up a book like The Body Keeps Score. Mm. And I'm going to read it uh, in a way that helps me have a better understanding of the people that I'm going to be talking to. So as a content producer, as somebody who writes books, writes messages on, you know, 25 times a year, who speaks on occasion, do you find that there is a... Uh, correlation between what you can output and what you input that, that I, I think about that a lot because sometimes I find my well getting a little dry and I think, oh, I'm short on input. I've been outputting too long and there's not enough coming in the hopper. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a balance there. I, I think I had so much input in my early years with, mm. you know, if you read 3,000 books before you write one, Yes. You still have some leftover content. <laughs> um, the, the thing I would warn leaders about, and especially communicators, and, and we actually talked about this a little bit, you can go back to the same well. We, we have oh, hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts that we can go back to and just kind of dust off and be a little bit lazy. Now, I would say that there are some things you need to come back to consistently because um, you need to say it seven times for people to hear it. But um, I, I am a learner, uh, strengths finder, and mm. ideation is way up there. So if I'm not thinking new thoughts, if we aren't innovating, I'm bored. Yeah. And I feel stagnant spiritually. And so uh, for me, that's kind of what, that's the engine that really drives it. And I, I, I describe it as holy curiosity. It's uh, Albert Einstein. He said, never lose a holy curiosity. That, that phrase, that juxtaposition of holy curiosity is one of my all-time favorite phrases. Hmm. So, Mark, you've been leading the same people, same city, 23 years now? Yes. Yeah. Wow. How do you keep fresh? How do you keep renewing your energy, your drive, your vision, your passion? How... How do you keep that 
strong for so long in one place with one people. Yeah. Um, well, R.T. Kendall said sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last. Mm. That's a constant warning to me <laughs> because, you know, we've been early innovators on a lot of different fronts from meeting in movie theaters to podcasting to blogging. But here's the deal. Every new wineskin eventually becomes an old wineskin. Yeah. And so I don't think you can ever settle in for too long. And the truth is we have a vision that uh, is going to take longer than my lifetime to accomplish. Hmm. Um, I, I think when you have a God-sized vision, it, it gets you up in the morning, it, it keeps you up at night, and, and you never get bored. So I think I think you, you need a vision that's beyond your ability, that's beyond your experience. And we're, we're doing some things right now that honestly, sometimes I, I falter under the weight a little bit because they're pretty big dreams. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of them. Yeah, can you give us just a snapshot of some of the things that you're seeing and building and imagining? Yeah, well, you know, 13 years ago, turning a crack house into the Ebenezer's Coffee House, where, where, we, are right where we are right now, you know, that was that seemed huge. And it was a $2.7 million vision. Um, but, but the way you steward miracles is you believe God for bigger and better miracles. Mm. And so then we, we did a $5.5 million dream center in Ward 7, where we're mentoring and discipling kids. I'll be honest though, Carrie, I didn't have a category for a city block. Uh, we bought a, uh, what was a 1891 Navy Yard car barn and uh, purchased it for $29.3 million. Didn't wow. have a category for it. Um, and uh, we're through a phase one building project uh, that's an event venue. And then phase two is a child development center that's one of the mayor's top initiatives because we're not just trying to build a church. We're trying to bless a city hmm. to the third and fourth generation. And then phase three is a mixed-use marketplace and co-working space. And these are expressions of our core conviction that the church belongs in the middle of the marketplace. But, but here's the reality. We are so far past our pay grade and this is something that uh, we have the real sense it's not for us, but it's for the urban church. I think it's a prototype uh, of what the church can look like and might need to look like, especially if some tax advantages that we enjoy change. <laughs> May disappear. Um, you know, I, I think we've got to be proactive. And so we're doing business's mission. You know, what does that look like, business's mission? Well, at Ebenezer's, every penny of profit goes to missions. It helped build the Dream Center. Mm. Uh, we'll do 28 mission trips this year. We've taken 228 trips uh, over the last 17 years. So it, it, it's about doing business really well. Again, if you can't compete with Starbucks, stay under the porch. Don't do it. <laughs> um, and so you've got to have a great product. You've got to have great customer service. But at the end of the day, for us, it's not about a, a net profit. It's about giving every penny of profit back to kingdom causes. And uh, less and less people are walking through traditional church doors to go to traditional church services. So if you want to reach people who are outside the box, you have to do some things that are outside the box. So when we create this marketplace, which will include an anchor restaurant, we'll have thousands of people circulating through our space every single day. Yeah. Um, who says the only way to reach people is by inviting someone to a traditional church service? We've got to find other ways of blessing the communities that we're a part of. And so whether that's a coffee house where people can hang out or a child development center where their kids uh, can experience a character-based um, child care uh, solution to their needs, or even a place just to hang out or even work in a co-working space. I think we want to expand the boundaries of the kingdom in some more creative ways. Yeah, when we were driving by last night after dinner, we uh, swung by um, that whole city block that you bought. 
Uh, and you were talking about building a co-working space. And then we passed WeWork on the way back yeah. to the hotel, right? Yep. So you're talking about going toe-to-toe, creating optimal space that people would go, oh, are we going to go to WeWork or are we going to go to this one, right? Yeah. 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 And and we'll learn from the 49 co-working spaces that are in D.C. Yeah. In fact, we have a lot of people in our congregation who manage those spaces. Right. But But here's the thing. We should be the best at hospitality. Hmm. That of that I'm sure. Yeah. Um that, that is yeah. one of the most ancient apologetics for relationship with God. And it finds its way into the Sermon on the Mount and all the way through the Apostle Paul's teaching. In fact, I think the last time I checked, we ought to entertain everybody as if they're an angel. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. I think we have some unique advantages that we can bring some love to the table and some hospitality to the table and do what we do really well. Um, and the, the preschool space you're developing in connection with the Faze Family Center through our mutual friend, Frank Beeler. Oh, man. We love. Yeah, and both of us hey, are Frank. smiling right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Because totally uh, Frank. I can't imagine a better person to partner with. And and you know what? I, I think Frank and, and by the way, a previous and podcast yeah. and, and Reggie, are a couple of my favorite people. Love the podcast that you did with Frank. And, uh, you know, I think um, they embody uh, mission and business and you can do both well. So it's a preschool, which apparently is the number one need in many U.S. cities, quality childcare for preschoolers. And you're going to set that up. So some of that will be the Faze Family Center in D.C. So it's, you know, it's 20,000 square feet of kids ministry space that we use on the weekend mm-hmm. for a growing kind of, we have a baby boom happening. Uh, for the longest time, we were 80% single 20-somethings. And yeah. we're, still, we're still 50% 20-something and single, but a uh, lot more people getting married, having babies. And so why would we leave that space dark Monday to Friday? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like the best stewardship. And so let's leverage it and it's taking a little extra effort and a little extra money to construct it in a way that meets code. Right. But over the long term, what happens is it pays for itself. Yes. And then beyond that, it pays for the next one. Right. So this is sort of that church as a business slash mission model. I want to look back because we were talking before we hit record about what um, I want you to reflect on 23 years of what may be the innovation curve you have been first to market or at least in the early adapter, if not innovator stage on a number of different things. Like you were telling me, the New York Times covered you uh, when you were doing a podcast because churches really hadn't gotten into that space. Yeah, yeah. Right, so can you go back and say, yeah, here's some things we tried first and here's some things we see next. Yeah, and Carrie, this comes from something that we say all the time around here, that there are ways of doing church that no one's thought of yet. Mm-hmm. And and I want to give credit where credit is due. I think most of those ways of doing church no one's thought of yet are coming from the front lines of the kingdom and the front lines of the kingdom are church planners. Right. So I have more to learn from a 20 or 30 something church planter, I think, than they have to learn from me. Mm. And so I think there's got to be some reverse mentoring there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, we, we have innovated certain things, but I, I think this idea of creating a city block where you can work and eat and play and pray mm. and do all of that together where there are revenue streams that help fund the kingdom and we're creating a place where church and community can cross paths, I, I think it's a prototype for the urban church. And part of it is how much money it costs to do yeah, church. Yeah, I mean, you were you were uh, giving me some figures last night. Like, yeah. what, what does it cost right now to develop a city block in D.C.? And we're not talking suburban D.C. We are talking like right downtown. I mean, the Nationals Park. What's it called? I yeah, should know. Yeah, Nats Park. Nats Park. Eight blocks away. Eight blocks away. Uh, you're just down the road from everything in D.C. So what's yeah. the total investment so far that you're looking at? Well, I mean, it was 29.3 to purchase it. Yeah. By the way, uh, an investment firm offered cash and we got it. 
And uh, we got so it. So wait, 18, they, they were trying to buy it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We got it 18. Oh, got it. We got it 18 years to the day from the day that I did a 4.7 mile prayer walk oh. around Capitol Hill. And Ebenezer's is the northwest corner of that prayer circle. That car barn, that city block is the southeast corner. I literally turned the corner at 8th and M Street. No way. And so we have no doubt it is an answer to prayer. God. So there was an investment firm that had a cash deal. Yeah. And you beat them yes. as a church. Yeah. And, and you and I both know that banks don't love loaning to churches yeah. because no one wants to foreclose on God. 100%. Um, so it, it took so many miracles and it's going to take a few more. So we're at another 10 million to build out phase one, 6 million to build out phase two. And, and that doesn't even get us to phase three. So, <laughs> um, but, but here's the thing. And I want to say a couple of things here to, to caveat this, because I know those are big numbers, but listen, our first year, I remember our income being $2,000 a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I remember we were paying 1600 to rent the DC public school where we met. That left $400 for our salary and all other expenses. <laughs> that will keep you grounded. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we're aware that DC is the most gentrified city in the country. And so we are doing things, even with the Child Development Center, to reach across socioeconomic lines. Right. We'll, we'll create hundreds of jobs. Well, who are we going to employ? Well, I, I think we want to help employ some people who have a tough time finding a job. Mm. And that would be returning citizens. It, it would be, we, we currently- When you say returning citizens, can you explain that? Yeah. Because we mean, talked about that. I, I think it's folks who have spent time in jail, in prison, mm. and they try to re-enter society. Yeah. And it's very hard. If you have a criminal record, it's mm -hmm. hard to land a job. Yeah, it is. Um, but, but last time I checked, God was in the restoration business. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and then I think, you know, we resettle about 65% of the refugees in the DC area. And so we're very active in helping people furnish apartments, helping kids get acclimated to school. Right. Well, those refugees have a hard time learning certain skills. The crazy thing is many of them are professionals where they're from. Right. But so there's a language barrier. But yes. Yeah. So I think those are all things that we are trying to make sure it's a holistic win for everybody. Right. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, it is a big investment. But here in D.C., it'll be worth twice what we invested in it in 25 years hmm. because they aren't making more land <laughs> right. Yeah. And when you're a mile from the capital, um, I, I think you have to have an investment mindset that uh, sets up the next generation. Yeah. And think about some other over 23 years, some innovations that you would say, like you were first to the theaters and, and that kind of thing. Can you just kind of list some things you tried perhaps on the early end of the curve? Oh, over man. The yeah. I mean, I think that the theater was pretty... Uh, Innovative at the time as a yeah. strategy, not, not as a short-term solution, right? but as a way of us expanding and growing. Um, now, let's be honest. Theaters are turning to recliners, and I'm going to keep it real right now. It is not easy preaching to people in recliners, <laughs> recliners. okay? Because yeah. um, theaters are struggling they are. in a way they weren't in the they, 90s. They are, and I don't yeah. think we could have foreseen that. No. Um, I, I think... Uh, Ebenezer's, um, you know, was pretty innovative, this idea. Well, and it's not, if people haven't been here, if you've been in D.C., you know, and you've been to Ebenezer's, but a lot of churches do this little coffee shop that's like God's Grounds or whatever, but it's not great coffee, and people who don't go to the church never go there. And this is like, a, I, I'm sure a lot of people who frequent here wouldn't even know it's put on by a church. No, fair? and I, I think they would have a house. sense that there is a cause orientation. Mm. Yeah. And they don't have to dig too far. You know, we're not overt or covert. Right, right. Every coffee house is owned by somebody. Mm -hmm. This one happens to be owned and operated by National Community Church. So we do have a little bit of an advantage, if we're being honest. We're kitty corner to the 
Security and Exchange Commission. Yeah, with, the SEC which is, is uh, right around the corner. It's the largest office building in D.C. So um, if you can't make a business work here, you probably can't make it work anywhere. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that was significant. I think we've tried to leverage technology. Maybe one that's interesting, um, you know, a lot of churches brand their series, but I think we were the first or one of the first to create trailers. Yeah. Why would we do that? Well, we're meeting in a movie theater. I'm seeing mm. all these trailers for movies. Why wouldn't we have our media team do the very same thing? And so we started creating trailers for our series. And the way I see it is the screen is postmodern stained glass. You know, yeah. medieval church used uh, stained glass to tell the gospel story in pictures. We use moving pictures and... Uh, in part because the brain processes print on a page at 100 bits per second, but it processes pictures at a billion bits per second. Oh, I so, did not know so that. So a picture is worth 10 million words. Literally. Yeah. So the brain actually processes images in a much faster way than it processes text. Yeah. And that's scientifically... Yeah. yeah, and I think these are things that we need to think about. We, we yeah. need to be aware of the sequence of cognition that the brain recognizes shapes and colors before it recognizes the message. So the way we shape and color things are even significant. Uh, and maybe that's why Orange Theory, you know, everybody's orange working out fitness, at Orange yeah. Theory. They get it. Like they've just leveraged a, a color um, to kind of get their brand out there. And, and so I, I think the greatest message deserves the greatest marketing. And we, we could be a little bit better at that. Hmm. What are some things that were innovative at the time that aren't working anymore? Can you think of any? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I think if you aren't careful, everything runs its course. Yeah. And so it, it was new to you. It was novel. But over time, there, there are two challenges. One is inattentional blindness. Yeah. That we stop noticing things in our environment, including in order of service. Right. If you keep doing the same thing the same way week after week, you know, three songs, announcement, message, closer. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's the law of requisite variety. If you do the same thing over and over again, it loses its effectiveness. It's true if you work out the same way with the same exercise it loses its effect. You have to confuse your muscles. Yeah, yeah, muscle confusion. Um, so as leaders, I think our job is to confuse people. Um, but, <laughs> I but, do a good job then. And, and yeah. so I, I can't remember the citation, but I remember hearing once that once you, you sing a song 30 times, you no longer think about the lyrics. Well, if you're a worship leader, think about the ramifications of that. Oh, yeah. So that means you've got to find ways to help people engage it differently. And-, and I think Jesus is a great example of this. He, he didn't do an orientation with his disciples. He did a disorientation. <laughs> he said, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Um, mm. He was confusing them. Wait, it's not eye for an eye? Wait, yeah. you're, you're telling me to turn the other cheek? I don't think we understand how disorienting that was for someone who had grown up in a Torah mindset. I mean, these were radical things. And so um, I think everything we've done, I think you have to continue to reinvent it, change it, and uh, mix it up. And so uh, I don't think you ever arrive. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, uh, you got a brand new book coming out. Not exactly sure when this airs, but around the time that this is going to air, perhaps yeah. the day. Yep. It's called Double Blessing. You yeah. said this one was harder to write when you and I have chatted. You said, wow, this one just was, was uh, took a little more. Yeah. Right? You want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, um, even the title uh, might intimate some things that I'm not trying to say. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think blessing is health, wealth, and prosperity. Right. So this isn't um, a, a gospel, uh, like prosperity gospel <laughs> type book. It, it's not. In fact, I talk about blessings in disguise. Mm. And uh, I, I think the blessing is God with us, God in us, God for us. Mm. Um, it's right relationship with God. But, but he, here, if you reverse engineer it, you go all the way back to the beginning. Before original sin, there was original blessing. Hmm. This is God's most ancient instinct. 
And if you get that sequence wrong, you relate to God out of fear, as opposed to responding to a God who, whose default setting is to bless us. Now, we have to figure out how to posture ourselves for that blessing. God doesn't bless selfishness or greed. Uh, he doesn't bless laziness. You know, you have to do some things to position yourself for that blessing. And then once you get it, it's about giving it. You know, mm. God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living, blesses us to raise our standard of giving. And uh, of course, the book talks about how the double blessing really is giving it away. Wow. What does that look like, giving it away? Well, for me, it's a, it's a simple phrase that Laura and I live by, flip the blessing. Mm. So if you bless me somehow, some way, and I think that could be time, talent, or treasure, yeah. um, then I'm going to find a way to bless someone else in that same kind of way. Mm. Uh, and so here's a good example. There was a pastor that very graciously, he was too busy to meet with me. This is before I wrote my first book, but I knew he had written a book and I had a lot of questions about how he did that, how he found an agent, how he found a publisher. Yeah. How, how do you balance being a pastor and an author? He didn't have time to meet with me, but he took time. And then he introduced me to my first agent. No way. And so here's the deal. I'm gonna find a way to, to flip that blessing. Mm. And so I try to, I don't have time, but I try to find time to meet with first-time authors. And if someone has a question about a publisher, about an agent, I'm gonna take time to engage in those conversations um, because that's the way that I then flip the blessing. Wow. So if you've been blessed, it's that blessed to be a blessing idea, right? Yes, yep. And, and that's, that's very countercultural because a lot of people is like, finally, this is flowing to me. I'm going to enjoy it. That's not what you're talking about. It, it is not. And I kind of debunked the uh, hashtag blessed yeah. uh, with a picture of an exotic vacation or an expensive <laughs> car. Come on. Yeah. You are devaluing something that uh, means so much more than that. How do you find the line between you know, when you've got enough, like, what does that look like? I love that question. Yeah. Uh, how much is enough? Yeah. Um, it's something I wrestle with all the time. Yeah. And I will say that we have put some ceilings in place. Yeah. And uh, even with the way we, by faith, with some early book contracts, decided what percentage we were going to give away. And uh, you want to have a little bit of fun? Yeah. You start double tithing. You go 50-50. You go 90-10. And so it's a way to stretch faith, but we, we put some things in place that we knew would honor God and would allow him to bless some of these books because it's not coming to us. Wow. We, we are going to find a way. And I think it started early on, Carrie, with the very first book. We, we lost money before we made money. Yeah. Um, because we gave away so many copies and uh, with no guarantee that it would sell enough copies that we would make it back. And so, you know, e even now when a book comes out, Laura and I personally gift a free copy to everybody at National Community Church uh, on the Sunday before the Tuesday that it comes out because we feel like it's an opportunity for us to lead with blessing. And that really has become a mantra. And, and for what it's worth, I mean, that's what Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out two by two in Matthew 10. Uh, give it your blessing. And if those who you give it to, they aren't deserving, it'll come back to you. Mm. Do, do you they talk about counterintuitive and countercultural. See, most of us, we assess the worthiness of a person before we give them our blessing. Jesus operated in a totally different way. Lead with blessing. And then there are gonna be situations where it's gonna have to come back to you. And then by the way, you're gonna have to shake the dust off of your feet and right. move on. And that's okay. But I, I wanna err on the side of blessing. And that really has become a mindset and a lifestyle for us. I'm glad I learned that from you and Laura about gifting a copy of the book 
for your church. And because I always felt like I I, kind of wrote leadership books, which weren't really general distribution books, but the last one was didn't see it coming. And that's like, no, anybody could read that book. And so having talked to you about that and learned that, I said to Tony, why don't we do this? And it takes the funk out of, because I wasn't going to teach on my book, right? Because then you're like, well, I don't want to be driving sales of my book. It just feels like a conflict to me. Yep. So we were able to purchase copies of the book for everybody who came to the launch of the series. Yeah. And we were able to do that personally. Yep. And then the church didn't have to put out money and people didn't have to put out money. Now, if you wanted to buy five copies, that's up to you. But like you got a free copy of the book, one per family. Yeah. And it worked really well. It just took all the funk out of it. And that was a little bit of a stretch for us, but you know, we were delighted to do it. Yep. And you feel so good doing that. You really do. And and it's because Jesus was right. Mm. <laughs> it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's just so much joy on the giving side. And I and I hope that um you know as folks read double blessing, I, I think it I hope it creates this contagious feeling of it's just so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> to be a blessing. And, and then it becomes contagious. Then it becomes kind of a, a culture, uh, so to speak. I want to give you a last word. And uh, this is a little bit of a pet peeve. It's a bit of a loaded question. Mark. Yes. I want you to talk to stingy Christians. Because <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a lot of stingy uh, Christians. And in some circles, being stingy and miserly is a virtue. And one of my secret missions in life is to cure broke thinking in the church. Not the prosperity gospel, but just that like, you know, well, cheaper is better. And what would you say to stingy Christians? Yeah, I would back up two steps and uh, say this. You know, the, the Talmud says that if you fail to thank God for a blessing, it's as if you have stolen it from him. Wow. I think generosity starts with gratitude Hmm. and it's counting our blessings. It's understanding that every good and perfect gift is from God. It's all from God. It's all for God. And so if you you have that mindset now, it frees you up to be generous. and, And that really is where the joy is found. I would encourage people. I, I think sometimes it's tough to go from zero to 60, Carrie. Yeah. And so just find little ways um, with your time and with your talent to be generous towards other people and then get the treasure in the mix. Right. And uh, as you begin to do that, I, I do think you discover you can't outgive God. And uh, that, that doesn't mean that, that, listen, that the reward for giving is material blessing. Again, I think that's a uh, devaluing uh, God's blessing that's uh, priceless. You can't put a price Mm. tag on joy, unspeakable, or peace that passes understanding. But those things are found on the giving side of life. And, And of course, God sets the bar for God so loved the world that he gave. Mm. And he gave what was most precious, his beloved son, so that we could experience a relationship with him and follow suit and give what is precious to us, to other people. Well, the book's called Double Blessing and it is available everywhere books are sold. And Mark, where can people find you online these days? Insta? Yeah. Insta and Twitter at Mark Batterson, both of those. There you go. uh, And markbatterson.com still works. It sure does. (laughs) (laughs) As always, what a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. Carrie, thank you. And uh, thank you for the consistent encouragement that Laura and I receive through your podcast. Mm. Uh, It is a gift to the kingdom. It's a calling. And uh, I, I know that all of us who listen are grateful, not just for the words that are spoken, but more than that, the spirit behind it. And it comes through uh, in those podcasts. And so grateful to call you a friend and uh, grateful for our time together. Mark, I couldn't be more grateful. Thank you. And I feel like we got like 30% into it. So we'll just get ready for the next time you're back. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, my friend.
Well, that is just rich stuff. You know, some of you heard me say this before, but one of my favorite things of, of doing this podcast is actually <laughs> being able to get to know some of the people that I admired from afar for a long, long time. Uh, next week, we are back with a legend. I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but you know what the good news is? I mean, the news is always full of bad stories about, you know, pastor this and business person this and politician X and everything. But my experience, at least with the guests that we curate on this podcast, is when you meet someone like Mark or uh, some of the other guests we've had, it's better than you think it's going to be. And isn't that good? I mean, isn't that just good for your soul? I got to also say thank you to all of you. I've been on the road a ton speaking all over this fall. And uh, everywhere I go, I hear from you. You guys come up. You tell me how the podcast is speaking to you. And I just want to thank you for that. Also, even an increasing number of business leaders. I was on a flight last night actually coming back from um, Pennsylvania. And I was sitting next to a business leader who's like, you're a podcaster? And took a snapshot. He's in sales for a major healthcare company. And he said, we'll have to have you come and speak. It was good. So if you're a business leader listening, uh, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Make sure you check out uh, Church Leaders our offers this month from our partners who are responsible for bringing you in-person interviews for free every week. Okay. Just go to prowebfire.com forward slash carry, get a website, a new one updated every week, uh, renovated, like redone every three years and your social handled. You can get up to 30% off if you go this month to prowebfire.com forward slash carry and jump on into the red letter challenge, which has helped so many churches grow small group growth of up to 40%. There's a lot of specials on for you right now at redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. And next week, guys, I'm so excited for this one. So back when I was in law school, a way back when I was in my 20s, I read Ordering Your Private World and it rocked us. It was one of my first small group studies that I led as an adult. And uh, I never thought I'd have the opportunity to get to know Gordon McDonald, but uh, we actually spent most of the day together in September and really spent some time. It is a long interview. We talk about his relationship with uh, Bill Clinton when he was president, has some conversations in the Oval Office, father wounds, uh, the dangers of drivenness. And he's got some very specific theories on what leaders struggle with between the ages of 32 and 42 at age 48 and at age 62. Gordon is 80 now. And uh, oh my goodness, the wisdom from him, unbelievable. Here's an excerpt from that conversation. But you can't afford to cram your schedule with things and cost out your personal relationships. You know, obviously your marriage relationship, you, you can't ignore that. You can't just keep filling up and doing a 90-hour pastoral week and then come home and realize you haven't said a word of usefulness to your wife all week long. Mm. You can't afford not to have key, wonderful, seminal moments with your children. Mm. You don't give them the tired time. You give them the best of time. Yeah. Mm. And then thirdly, your mentors and what I call your capital F friends which is only five or six people. They, those, all those people go into your schedule first. That conversation will also be on YouTube, by the way. We've got a growing archive of not every episode, but a lot of episodes of this podcast now, which you can find on YouTube. Just search my name, Kerry Newhoff, or the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. You'll find it there. So guys, if you subscribe, you get that all for free. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for continuing to help the word spread. And I am so grateful for that. And now to your question. Love your question. And the question is simply this. And this is from Andrew. Have you ever taken a sabbatical during your leadership? What kind of influence did it have over you? Um, so my answer to that is no. And I get asked this almost all the time I'm on the road. What do you think about sabbaticals? So I'm, I'm going to give you my theory, which I haven't really published before. And that is I haven't taken a sabbatical at first, because I was too driven to take a sabbatical and uh, I burned out in 2006. And then when our elders offered me a sabbatical, I didn't take it because I kind of knew at that time in the, in the fragile condition I was in burnout, if I took a sabbatical, I was never coming back. And even though I felt done, I don't think God was done with me. So no, I have not in 24 years of leadership taken a sabbatical. Now, I've developed a whole new theory, which I teach in the High Impact Leader 
which is, I think you should try to figure out how to live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And for the last 13 years since I burned out, I've been attempting to do that. And so I'm recording this on a Saturday morning. Usually I don't do these podcasts on a Saturday, but I'm on the road five days a week. I did seven flights into five different cities this past week. And uh, I feel great. I feel really, really great. Because for the last 13 years, I have tried to live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. So even in the midst of a really busy season, doing live interviews, speaking at conferences, events, hosting dinners, uh, flying to different cities multiple times a week, uh, I pick my flights based on how, and even seating assignments based on helping me show up rested the next day. I was getting kind of tired earlier this week. Uh, Thursday, I flew into a city. I was speaking in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on Friday. I flew in Thursday afternoon and just took the afternoon for myself. Didn't try to do much. Went to bed at nine o'clock. My wife had, was with me for most of the week, but Tony flew home on Thursday morning. So I was alone. So I just kind of took it easy and got some deep sleep. Felt great. Last night, I got in a little later than I want, but guess what? I just slept in this morning. I feel fantastic. Uh, and, and it is possible to thrive. And I'm doing more than I ever have before. It's the strangest thing. Some of that is delegation. So I would say the best antidote to needing a sabbatical is to live in a way today that would help you thrive tomorrow. Now, what about sabbaticals themselves? Okay, here's what I think sabbaticals are. I think people run at an unsustainable pace. And then what happens is they take a sabbatical, they recover, and then they go back into an unsustainable pace. Bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. If I ever took a sabbatical, here's what I would do with it. I'm not, I'm not close to it, but I would want to continue living this way. And then I'd want to take, I don't know, two months, three months, six months, a year, who knows. And I'm, this isn't in my plans. I'm just saying hypothetically, because I'm actually really enjoying my life and what I'm doing right now. But what I would do is try to go into it rested and then take some time specifically for whether that's Sabbath or whether that is study or whatever that happens to be, but have a purpose for your sabbatical and then do it from a place of abundance, not from a place of deficiency. So I think if that happened, we would have way better leaders. Now I've figured out how to basically most days, not every day, I get stressed like everybody does, but the recalibration should be quick. So that is my theory on sabbaticals. I don't know that that was helpful, Andrew, uh, but nope, haven't taken one, have no plans to take one. I'm not against it, but I do think you should figure out how to live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And if you can do that, you if you take one, you will not be running into your sabbatical on empty. If you want more about how to do that, I, I share everything in The High Impact Leader. You can go to thehighimpactleader.com and learn more there. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more in that area. In fact, my next book is about exactly, it's an expansion of The High Impact Leader on how to live in a way today that'll help you thrive tomorrow. So that comes out in a year. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I enjoy this so much, um, sometimes too much. And we have a lot coming up with Gordon McDonald. I'm talking about online marketing with Alejandro Reyes, Patrick Lencioni, and so much more. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.